like touch my shoulder, it would touch my hair. Starts now. And I said, what in the hell is that? And more radio starts now. How can you believe in spirits if you don't believe in God or Satan? There's been evidence of their existence. Eyewitness accounts, photographs, recordings, you name it. And I've contacted some of them. What, what, a Ouija. Ouija. What? what? It's pronounced Ouija, not Ouija. It comes from the French and German words for yes. We and ya. Ouija. Ouija. Turn down the lights if you dare. Spirits and more radio. That's right, and I'm your host, Steve Rowan, and we're here today. We're going to be talking about Ouija boards or uh, talking boards, spirit boards. This is our ninth show, and uh, I couldn't have asked for a better group of people to join me today uh, to help unlock the mysteries of the Ouija board. Uh, we've got the Talking Board Historical Society with us today. Uh, but before we get started with the show, just a few things to cover. Uh, for our live listeners, you can jump into our new chat room, uh, and you can get to that uh, on your mobile by going down into the right hand side of your screen there's a little bubble there and that will get you into the chat room uh, same if you're on the desktop uh, the other thing you can call in uh, we've got a phone number set up for you at one ghosts and uh, you can call in if you have any kind of related story to a Ouija board story something that's happened to you uh, call in and leave it on our voicemail uh, the other thing is that um, you can hashtag us if you want to tweet to us. Uh, you can also do that. So uh, go to Spirits and More Radio or Scary Horror News on Twitter, and uh, we'll be monitoring that as well. Uh, it's the game that Catholics around the world fear. Uh, most of us know someone who's had a scary experience with one. It comes in many shapes and sizes. Uh, they say it can open portals to evil spirits. Yes, I'm talking about the talking board, but most know it as the Ouija board. Uh, I'd like to welcome our guests from the Talking Board Historical Society. Uh, we've got Merch, the founder of the society, and uh, he's the world's foremost collector and historian expert on Ouija boards. Uh, he's traveled the world uncovering the truth of the mystifying oracle, uh, collaborated with Hasbro, and he's been on lots of TV shows like uh, Fox's Exorcist and True Nightmares and Haunted Hotel Live, uh, on and on, Ghost Adventures, you name it. Uh, we also have with us uh, Rick Omortis Shrek. He's the vice president of the group and uh, <laughs> the true Jersey devil. Uh, he's owner and operator of a tattoo shop called uh, House of a Thousand Tattoos uh, in Middlesex, New Jersey, uh, which obviously is related to one of my favorite horror films. So uh, his collection started from a single Ouija board, and uh, he's been collecting as many as possible in an attempt to get his house to be haunted. Uh, we also have Brandon Hodge with us. He's the official historian, uh, or a historian, on spirit uh, communication devices. Um, he's been involved with... Uh, 
tons of different research and so forth uh, on spiritualism history. Uh, he's appeared in the pages of Smith's, Smithsonian Magazine and Collectors Weekly, and he's a regular columnist for the Spirit Communication Devices for a Paranormal Review. Welcome to the show, guys. What up, dude? <laughs> Thank you for having us. Yes. So we've got uh, uh, merch. So you you started this whole thing. Is that right? <laughs> yeah, I'm not going to take complete credit for uh, what 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 we've done, but no, there's there's a lot of us. You know, um, I started about 25 years ago collecting and researching and writing, and and made a lot of great friends. And it's basically in in 2007, 2008, where a bunch of us collectors came together to put in a gravestone for Elijah Bond, the guy who patented and um, one of the people who first started making the Ouija board. So our our, our history goes back a while it took us a while to kind of like all get together and um and and here we are yeah and uh rick now how did you uh come to find this group of people um you know it it's funny because merch and i both started around the same year collecting boards back in 92 and ironically it was um the 300th anniversary to Salem Witch Trials. That's what got me all stuck in it, right? I started meeting all these guys on eBay because we used to fight each other over the same boards <laughs> over and over again. And there was actually chat rooms that were designed on, on eBay that we could talk to one another. And that's how we all started to become friends. I mean, Facebook came along a lot later. I see. And uh, and so, Rick, now you, um, you've you got a tattoo shop. I just want to get into that real quick. House of a thou yep. or Thousand Tattoos. Uh, related, yep. related to the movie at all or just coincidence? Well, no, it was, it was inspired by the movie because I love um, Captain Spaulding's Museum of Monsters and Mad Men, you know, with all the serial killers and all the creepy stuff all over the walls. It looks like my house. <laughs> so the tattoo shop ended up looking like my house and at the time nobody cared about that movie and rob zombie was selling those uh props online from the movie and i bought a ton directly from him so i had them all in the shop but i've since sold them all oh wow uh, and then Brandon, you've uh, now you're you're involved with uh, research. You've done a lot of research into the history of spiritualism. Is that sort of uh, what dry, drove you to this group of people? Yes, in a way, I I got my start in the in the mid to late nineties. I was performing magic of all things, and I started to fall in uh, to sort of the redheaded step child discipline of magic performance, which is bizarre magic, which is usually a storytelling. Uh, sort of storytelling magic that focuses more on on macabre themes and, and occult themes and that got me into the study uh, at the time i was studying history at the university of texas i really got into the history of spiritualism doing research for routines and i acquired my first devices uh, uh, automatic writing planchette and, and talking boards uh, as uh, props for this sort of seance like spook, sort of traveling spook show thing that i was doing back then and uh, yeah, the interest just held on and uh, percolated through the years and, until, uh, yeah, we all finally came together. I see. Um, so t let's start off. I guess we should jump right back into uh, Ouija board. You know, our listeners who are listening to this show are have an interest in the spirit world and paranormal, and, and we've got haunted house enthusiasts and, and all types of people who enjoy this stuff. But, you know, I think every single one of us uh, who grew up always heard about a Ouija board and uh, maybe even knew some kids down the street that played with one. Uh, and so I think we should just kind of jump into what it is. So if one of you want to take maybe merch if you want to take the lead on uh describing exactly what a ouija board is 
Sure. Well, I mean, the word Ouija or Ouija is actually a, a trademark or, or a brand that's been uh, in continuous use since 1890. It is a talking board. So talking boards go further back. Ouija is just really the most popular and um, clearly the one that everyone thinks of, because like you had mentioned, most people just call them Ouija boards. And so um, the Ouija board, w- what we know of as and what we see it, it pretty much today hasn't changed very much. It's uh, you know a board or it can be on a flat surface. It has yes and no, goodbye, the letters of the alphabet, numbers, and you place your fingers on the indicator or a planchette, which Brandon, I'm sure, will talk about. And um, you ask a question and the planchette will either point out or rest on top of the letter answering your question. So there are people who believe that Ouija boards are used to part the veil and speak to the other side. We also have lots of people who use it as a tool to get in touch with your subconscious. And then there are psychics who believe that when more than one player is at the board, you're kind of making a telepathic link. So the the Ouija board is really all about belief because whatever you believe, makes a huge impact on your session. I see. So um, when, now you, you talk about it being a trademark. So when, what exactly was the date that the Ouija board, the trademark Ouija board, came to be? Well, it, so you were playing which board, I think, in the intro, which was an awesome intro, by the way. I love it. Um, <laughs> and that spread kind of a misnomer. Uh, the history of how the Ouija board got started you know, Ouija proper, the brand, um, was just lost. And, and it took uh, maybe five, six years ago, we stumbled upon a series of letters that describe its inception. And so I'm just going to repeat to you what the people who were there said. Do I know it's all true? Absolutely not. I wasn't there. We have no idea. But they do kind of agree on what happened. And so uh, according to this account and some of the relatives, on April 25th, 1890, Charles Kennard, Elijah Bond, and his sister-in-law, Helen Peters, were in Baltimore, sitting around a table. They took the Ouija board, put it in their lap, asked the question, what do you want to be called? And it's spelled out O-U-I-J-A. And when they asked what that meant, it answered good luck. And so Ouija, the Egyptian luck board, was born. So they were making this board before, under a different name, we believe might have been which board. Um, but really, it didn't take off until it got its name. And uh, they also had to prove that it worked at the patent office. And so, you know, the patent office didn't want to give a patent to something. How is this going to work? Is it really going to work? And sure enough, it did. And so they used that in their advertisement as well. And what's interesting or unique about Ouija, uh, kind of besides these other talking boards, is that Ouija was always marketed as a game or an amusement. They did not tell you why or how it would work. So the we- people use Ouija boards to talk to the other side. When it was started, these people were really marketing geniuses and realized, well, if we do what these other people making talking boards are doing, it's a really small niche group, you know, spiritualists, people who are believe they're talking to spirits. But if we just say, we don't know how or why it works, but it will exceed your wildest imagination. Then suddenly they could put this parlor game in every parlor in America, which is pretty much what happened. I see. So, um, so they, it was really a marketing thing. But now the people who did that, they were involved with other games as well. Is that right? That was sort of their profession? 
Yeah, the, the people who came together. I mean, Charles Kennard, uh, two, two men claimed to invent the board that would become Ouija. Charles Kennard and E.C. Resch, both from 1886 when they were living in Chestertown, Maryland. And uh, Charles Kennard, you know, his big business was fertilizer business. And E.C. Resch was a, a coffin maker, an undertaker, a furniture maker. Uh, he made instruments. He was kind of the all-around go-to guy who could create things. Some of his furniture ended up in the White House, actually. So um, Charles Kennard claimed that he was into psychical research as far back as 1876 in Philadelphia. And, you know, just remember, we're talking about a time, and, and I know Brandon will get into this more when we he gets into spiritualism, but you're talking about a time where, you know, there was a lot of death, and talking to the dead was seen as pretty normal. It was something that people would do. So Charles Kennard, who was very interested in psychical research, may or may not have believed he was talking to spirits. He definitely saw a capitalist opportunity, and um, that's really how Ouija took off. And from that point, uh, it was sold at one point to Hasbro, the trademark. Is that right? Yeah, basically, it, it went. Um, the Kennard Novelty Company is the original company in 1890. Um, in 1891, the, the trademark goes through. Uh, they basically. Uh, hand everything over to William Fold in 1897. He and his brother start working on it. He does it alone in 1901. And by 1966, the Fold family sells to Parker Brothers. Parker Brothers in turn sells to Hasbro in 1991. I see. But the the foundation of this, I mean, what people were trying to do with it, people knew what to do with this board right away. So, yeah. so, is it, uh, so let's go back a little bit further back before this, uh, you talked about other talking boards. So uh, people, uh, and maybe this might be for Brandon, but uh, mm. at that time, uh, people were interested in spiritualism, and, and this was a tool, is that right? Or they call it an oracle. Yeah, well, that's right. Uh, yeah. I'll, so you've got about 40 years or so of spiritualism, uh, and, and what we would term modern American spiritualism, although it's going to be a worldwide phenomenon. And that's going to get started. You know, most of this dialogue is going to always start with the Fox sisters. Uh, they're the, the, the famous trio, really. They start off as a duo until their older sister gets involved. But uh, when they are, are young teenagers, they begin hearing mysterious noises in their Hydesville, New York cottage. And uh, these rapping noises are these knocks, and they kind of, it's not the first time we've had poltergeist or haunting like activity in history, right? We, there's long precursors for this. What's different with them, there's a few things. One, they attempt to communicate with these knocks by essentially creating a binary code knock once for yes, twice for no. Uh, you could call out the alphabet to the air, A, B, C, D, E, F, G, and wait for a knock to indicate the chosen letter, not unlike the planchette pointing out a letter on the, on the board. This will get refined as well with alphabet cards that will have the, the letters spread out on the table, and you would point to a pencil and wait for the knocks. And this is going to be known as wrapping mediumship. And so the Fox sisters are going to establish that largely because now we're in an age where things are able to go viral in a way they could not before. Essentially, the, the this news will not stay localized, whereas other stories had in previous years. These news stories are going to get repeated uh, in, in newspapers all across America, and that's going to, to do a lot to benefit the spread of not only this religion um, and this type of mediumship, but also devices as we as we spread throughout the years. Interesting. So and Brent, by the time the Ouija comes around, we've got about 40, 40 or so years of, of uh, spiritualism. 
I see. All right, we're going to take a break real quick, and we're going to get back. I'd like to hear a little bit more about some of those other devices that people used to use to do this sort of thing. So we'll be back right after this break. Whoa! So this is Radio Land, huh? The Infinite Turtle, the, the waves through the ether fuzz roll on forever. Roar! You're my fave. <laughs> Me and Bubba, my little brother, we listen to you every night. Hey there, listeners. This is Steve Rowan, your host. I hope you're enjoying this show. And if you are, I'd like to ask you to help us expand our audience by giving us a review in your podcast app. I would really appreciate it if you did that. And for doing so, I want to do something special for you. I want to offer you a free bonus hour of any one of our previous shows. So if you like the Alien show and you want to hear the second hour or the Disneyland show or the Ouija board show, just take a screenshot of your review and email that to me at editor at spiritsandmoreradio.com and I will email you right back with a link to the second hour of any show you'd like. Thank you for listening and please share us on your Facebook and retweet us. Now back to the show. Spirits and more radio. Follow us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. Make a hole with a gun perpendicular to the name of this town in a desktop globe. Exit wound in a foreign nation, showing the home of the one this was written for. My apartment looks upside down from there. Water spirals the wrong way out the sink. And her voice is a backwards record. It's like a whirlpool and it never ends. In the glow of each other's majestic presence Listen in and hear my words And the ones you would think I would say If there was a me for you and you're listening to Spirits and More Radio. We are talking about Ouija boards, spiritualism, and everything connected to talking boards and those sort of things. Uh, we've got the guys from Talking Board Historical Society with us, and we were just uh, hearing about uh, sort of the history, where it all started. Uh, and I was interested, Brandon, you were ta- talking about different devices. So before, before the board came out with uh, particular letters, uh, what other sorts of things were people doing to sort of try and communicate with the spirit? world well there's a lot of different phases of mediumship the first in modern american spiritualism is going to be wrapping mediums so this is pre-device right you actually go you would usually pay for the services of a medium the spirits communicate through them and you would sit in a room in a circle in the quiet you would wait for the spirits to respond by knocking on the walls the tables the floors the chairs and uh, this starts in 1848, as we discussed, and by the, the early 1850s, you have a lot of developments. You've got to keep in mind, people are waiting a long time to receive messages. You're literally sitting around waiting, calling out the alphabet over and over and over, waiting for the ghosts to, the spirits to knock and communicate and spell out words and letters. It takes a long time. The first real sort of 
DIY, do-it-yourself spirit communication device is actually going to be your kitchen table. Probably as the result of a lot of people sitting around in seance circles with their hands on the table waiting for the spirits to begin rapping, they, they discover that the table will begin to move mysteriously under your hands, given enough time and patience. And for scientists, we'll recognize this as sort of the earliest discovery of the ideomotor effect. Uh, but then in the, in the early 1850s, this is going to get complete, uh, sort of conflated with spiritualism. And you can ask the table questions in the exact same way that you could ask a wrapping medium. So no longer did you need to pay for those services. You could sit around your kitchen table or a chair or a, a top hat. You could place your hands on it. You could ask it questions, and it would move mysteriously. So for anyone who's ever experienced table turning or table tipping, this is the birth of that phenomenon. And in 1853, that is going to spread from America into Europe and literally be a, a worldwide craze. I mean, it's it's not uh, overstating it that, that it literally overtakes parlors and, and, and kitchens, all uh, dining rooms all, all over the world as people begin to experience and experiment with this phenomenon. Wow. Now, do you think, do you think that, uh, I mean, of course, it's just an opinion, but I mean, is there evidence that uh, people were, I mean, you know, there's religious components to people's lives and, and, and that particular moment in time, uh, was there sort of a window open as far as religious belief that it's okay to try, try and talk to dead relatives and things of that nature? Um, it seems like that's a... That's a, uh, a touchy subject, at, you know, in certain circles and certain religions, you know, you're, uh, that's not necessarily encouraged. So uh, it's, it's interesting that there was this entire period of time, even that far back, where people were, um, you know, dabbling in this in such a large number of people. Well, absolutely, and and certainly, it has always had its detractors. Let's let's not lose that. We uh, un, not unlike with the Ouija board, we have early a lot of French texts that basically say table tipping is the work of the devil. You're talking to the devil. This is where we get this. We're going to hear it uh, here in a few minutes with the planchette, and that's going to transfer and sort of stick to the the Ouija, as as we'll see. And uh, so there, this communication has certainly always had its detractors, but it was also true that you could go to a seance on Wednesday and still go to church on Sunday. The tenets of spiritualism are largely compatible with Christianity, and so uh, the, the, the doctrines were certainly not incompatible. I see. Um, is there, uh, as, as we kind of talk about uh, the history of it as it moves up, where does that, uh, the idea of it being evil and dangerous, it sounds, uh, tell us a little bit more about that. Well, we get a lot of, particularly in France, is really where table tipping in, in 1853 is going to, to latch on very hard. There were already lots of mesmerists, which, you know, the, the belief in animal magnetism and mysterious forces was already very well established in France. And it already sort of uh, raised the ire of the religious establishment. So there was this new phenomenon that they turned their attention to. Uh, we actually have texts where the Bishop of Revere's right a, a long can, uh, canonical text denouncing spiritualism, denouncing table tipping as the work of the devil, an experiment that you probably shouldn't try in your dining room. Right. And so you, you, you get a lot of that pushback. 
And I would say that that's even, uh, that's a prevalent thing even today. I mean, we did a little survey on our Twitter page and 35% of respondents are afraid of Ouija boards. Uh, so, <laughs> so, you know, uh, 35% of people listening to this have a fear built in, you know, that uh, this thing could be real and, and there could be consequences and talk about, people talk about portals and having issues, you know, once you open this portal up with this Ouija board, you're haunted and, and, you know, you have these issues now. Uh, Rick, you, you've collected these boards uh, trying to have that happen. Is that right? Yes, yes, absolutely. Um, growing up in, in the 70s and 80s, um, I was always fascinated by horror movies. And what most people would see as terrifying, I saw as look like fun. Like, I, I, I wanted it, you know? Like, uh, the, witch, the movie Witchboard, which is really one of my greatest inspirations for collecting Ouija boards, um, that whole progressive entrapment that happened to her by using the board alone and Malfader coming to her house, I wanted all that. <laughs> and so you, know, you, so I, you collect, how many did you collect? Well, before, before eBay came along, um, I don't. I I can only speak for myself, but it wasn't very easy to find them. You know, merch kind of grew up in the hub of uh, Ouija boards up there by Salem, but down here it wasn't easy to find. Man, and I had every antique store on the lookout for me, and for many many years I had under twenty. And then when eBay came along, I was buying one every two days. Wow! So it, you know, my my collections shot through the roof, you know, overnight, and I was spending my mortgage money on them. I was just going crazy. <laughs> 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 and do you have a favorite? Uh, a favorite? Uh, well, I have I have a favorite board, but I have three versions of it made by this um, this dude that goes by the name of Craig Delf, and he made this this really cool Necronomicon board. He was the first person to inspire me to make my own, and I I was lucky enough to get um, three different colors. One of one that he sent me that he calls the Suicide Board. Uh, the the place that was making them for him. Uh, a person had committed suicide across the street, and the guy that was in the print shop blamed uh, the board for it and didn't want to make them anymore. So I have one of the last ones that were made after uh, that incident. Oh wow! Yeah. Now, Merch, you you uh, uh, you you your collection goes way back, and uh, he, uh, what Rick was just talking about was a, a custom board that was made. Maybe you can <laughs> maybe you can describe some of the you know. There's production boards, right? There's boards that were made by gaming companies, and then there's mm-hmm. more of the handmade stuff. Tell us a little bit about that. Well, talking boards as we know them to look like Ouija boards and act the same way, because talking boards is it, it's a big you know, class of games. They don't always look the same. But if we're talking about what talking boards, we kind of hit 1886 because that's when, like Brandon had mentioned, things really went viral. So there was a a story about um, the new planchette, the talking board, really agitating northern Ohio. And that that story got picked up by the Associated Press and kind of blew up everywhere. You know, we we have reports of it hitting London, Paris, Sydney, Australia. And, And these were things you just made at home. They, they weren't things that, you know, uh, companies were making at the time. Um, there weren't some people were making these other ones, but the ones that look like the Ouija board, people would just make. And so, you know, you, you take a, a, a cake board or a bread board and you take a marker or, or paint and, and just, you know, put on what you wanted. And, uh, you know, originally they would say good night and good eve, according to these um, stories that we have. And some would have other words to use them, so they, they were really something anyone could make, and then that was the idea, really, that that these things could be used by anyone. 
because there were a lot of people who, if you wanted to get in touch with the other side, you would go to a medium, you would pay someone. Well, these other devices, you know, a lot of them came along to kind of put that power in the hands of the ordinary person. You know, whether you believe you have some hidden gift or whether it's just that it's the tool, the the board that you're using that puts you in touch. You know, all, all those are, again, getting into beliefs. But um, these things were just anyone can do them. Anyone can do it now. You don't need to buy the official Ouija board or you don't need to buy any of its competitors. You can take a piece of paper. You can put the alphabet on it, um, alphabet cards, anything you want. Use a shot glass and ask questions. It's it's why it's still so popular today because it's so incredibly simple. Right. And I've seen uh, a photograph of a table set up with cards um, all the way around, you know, the alphabet, and then use like a wine glass to sort of push to the different letters. So that's exactly what you're talking about, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. You you can do this at home. And, you know, there are a lot of movies that would use kind of what we call ass the glass. And, and that's because in order to use the Ouija board uh, in TV or movies or anything, you have to get permission. And, and that, that might mean paying. Well, sometimes, you know, movies don't want to spend their budgets on getting permission. So, you know, you can just make a talking board. Everyone understands what to do and what it is. It doesn't have to say Ouija or Ouija on it. So, yeah, I mean, people used all kinds of things to make them. And um, we've seen a few. It, it's really tough because we only have some drawings of what these early talking boards look like. So we know what they're supposed to look like, and we believe we've seen a few. And And I have um, an early talking board that came out of New York um, that could be pre-Ouija because its design looked different. But unfortunately, with these homemade things, it's hard to date unless we know and someone writes on it or writes about a particular board because, you know, th- when they're made at home, they don't say copyright, trademark, patent, no date. So right. um, so we, we know kind of when they explode and when we should expect to see more, it's hard to date those ones that are made individually. But right. we're always on the lookout. I mean, that's what that's what we do at the uh, Talking Board Historical Society is, is every time we think we know the answer, you know, we get slapped upside the head and, and are, are taught we don't really know what we don't know. <laughs> and see. that's kind of the ever-evolving story. And, and that's why the Talking Board Historical Society is so important because it brings together all these different types of people who are looking at this you know, hobby at totally differently. Some people are looking at it very scholastically. Some people are looking at it because they totally want to be haunted. Some people just love the artwork of the boards. And without all of these people working together – we wouldn't know what we know. It, just in the last 10 years, we've been able to rewrite the story of the talking board at least 100 times. I see. So um, is there a particular board that's sought after? Is there is there a collectible board that people uh, in the collector's realm really want to get their hands on? I think, you know, it depends. If you're a collector, I guess you want them all. But um, and <laughs> yep. none of us do. There's so many. I mean, there's, there's thousands of different talking boards out there. Right? And that's another neat, aspect is that everyone's collection is very different because different boards call to different people. You were talking about homemade boards. Well, we have a friend and another one of our directors, Calvin Von Crush. He loves the handmade boards. He doesn't really care about how old they are. He really likes that whole someone sat down 
and made this with the intent to part the veil. And and so the early boards seem to be what people are really looking for. But, you know, if you ask that question to me, I'm looking at it through the different people I research and write about. So I want the early stuff. Other people just really like the, the great artwork from the 40s. And, and I think, you know, Rick can tell you hit. If you look at Rick's collection, or if you're in Rick's house and you look at his walls, you will absolutely see a certain type of board. <laughs> you, you, you speaking of the, the our Holy Grail, like everybody has a different Holy Grail, right? And um, the one thing that got me into collecting Ouija boards back in the day was I used to hear rumors in the late 80s about witches using Ouija boards that were made out of coffin lids, like used coffin lids. And that has been the one thing I've been in pursuit of ever since. And if I ever came across a, a Ouija board made out of a real, legit, you know, old wooden coffin lid, I mean, there's, there's, no, there's no price too high. Wow. That's, I've, I've never heard of that. That's really cool. So, uh, and that's a rumor that, uh, that witches yes. would do that. Yeah. Now, um, is there, uh, is there a, uh, how much, I guess, how prevalent are the actual, when we get the, into the, uh, Ouija board, um, the very first ones, are those, are those all gone? Are they, are people still have them or? They pop up all the time when we least expect it. <laughs> um, so we now know there was a board we used to call the Good Night Board. And uh, another one of our directors and chief of staffs, uh, Gene Orlando, who runs the Museum of Talkingboards.com. I just want to stop real quick. This website uh, was started in 1997, and it is really the basis for all of us getting together. So you kind of asked me, was it like me who started this? And, and I, I may have tried actively tried to bring everyone together but um gene orlando basically put the first ouija or talking board website on the web and that's really how we all found each other was writing into this website and you know he, he that's how our community started and so for people who want to see uh, an amazing online version of different talking boards museum of talking um but he had this board that looked an awful lot like the patent version of the Ouija board that Elijah Bond patented. But we were never really sure. We couldn't tell there was this kind of smush mark on the back. And we thought it said patent applied for, but it also could have said like, you know, there's a sale at Walmart. We just (laughs) couldn't tell what this thing said. And so we had believed this was one of the first, one of the boards they were making before Ouija got its name. And then um, another one of these boards popped up and I, actually, it was a gift from uh, two of the people who were on the phone and, and 15 other people gave it to me as a gift, which was awesome that you have um, collectors who are willing to help pitch in and buy something for you that everyone wants. So, um, And then another one popped up, and, and it, it clearly said patent applied for, which really leads us to believe that this early board um, is the board they were making before it got its name. And, and then we can kind of see the progression. But, you know, like Brandon will tell you – as a historian, it's really tough because we want to say, okay, here's the first board and here's the last, and we can put an evolution in between. But some of the boards they made were like testing things or trying something new. So there might have been more than one at the same time. And then, you know, you have multiple factories. And so everyone's making them slightly different. And as a collector, we get into the weeds and we're like, oh, well, this one, the, the moon's tipped a little bit to the right. Ooh, you know, well, to the <laughs> average person, it's like, okay, uh, looks exactly like the other 15 you just showed me. So, you know, 
it's hard to show an evolution. We have a we have a a pretty tight evolution, but these things pop up all the time. And and unfortunately, the more people pass away and they clean out the houses, we see more and more of these. And and we have another director who's who's found some pretty great stuff. Um, Mike Zone, who is from Obscura Antiques and from the show Oddities, and um, you know he he's out in the fields as a picker. So not only he's antique show, you know his antique store, but he also is looking for them, and he has found quite a few pretty rare things as well. And um, you know they're just always popping up. They they could pop up at any moment. I see. So there is a chance anyone who's listening to this show uh, of getting their hands on one of those really old ones, it sounds like. Uh, We'll be right back after this break. Hey, if you're like me, when you first went to get a fog machine, you had no idea which one to get. I mean, you can get one for 30 bucks all the way up to a couple hundred bucks. Well, listen, HalloweenPartyDeals.com takes the guesswork out of which fog machine is going to be best for you. Go on there, check out what they have to say about them. They'll help you get exactly what you need. All right, that's HalloweenPartyDeals.com. HalloweenPartyDeals.com. Listening to Spirits and More Radio, we're talking about talking boards, spirit boards, also known as Ouija boards. Uh, proper way to say that, I learned today. Uh, so yeah, we've got uh, we've got three gentlemen with us today: uh, Merch, Rick, and Brandon, all with uh, the talking board historical society and uh and people can get to your website and check out the stuff you guys have there uh, as far as resources go and you've guys got some cool t-shirts and stuff like that too and it looks like they can uh people can uh participate and get involved um we've been hearing about sort of the history of where all this comes from and i sort of wanted to move the show to the place where uh the fear of the ouija board and and rick you you were uh you're going straight down that path that's what you're into it sounds like um can one of you guys tell us uh sort of the myths and tales surrounding this sort of device um you know there's are there rules of of engagement with these boards Oh, like the the rules, like in, in the box, the rules that I put on that T-shirt, I always forget them, like um, never use in a cemetery, um, don't use it alone, right? There was another yeah. one, never leave the planchette on the board, don't burn it, you know, all, all these like funny superstitions, you know, so like I, and any one of them that may be on there, I'll just, I'll do, do just to do it, you know, um, I don't know, I don't, I don't think any of them have any validity, it's just people love to 
come up with new little crazy things, you know? People are afraid of their own shadow sometimes. <laughs> well, and, and you know, what's really neat, and, and Rick, so Rick did a t-shirt, I don't know if you saw it, it's called, you know, Board Rules, and he illustrated a bunch of these different um, what have been dubbed as Ouija-titians or urban legends that, uh, you know, evolved around the Ouija and talking boards. And, and again, going back to Witchboard, Kevin Tenney did an amazing thing with it. He, he took all of these urban legends that different people believed, and he wove them together to create the story Witchboard, which had a huge impact on the history, on people's beliefs. It, it really kind of, like I said, it really tied everything together. And so all of these different things, like there was no such thing as progressive entrapment before that movie. Like there, that, that title, that was completely made up for him. However, it exists. And so to me, none of those, I'm not worried about any of these. Did I break a rule? Did I do it right? Did I not? But, but some people are. And and it's because they believe. And and belief is the single most important thing when you're dealing with any of this stuff. And and the belief of talking to the dead and having there be a price for that has, has stayed pretty much through history. That like, okay, you can talk to the dead, but you have to pay. And, and that's where it, people believe it gets scary because, you know, what if you talk to the wrong thing? What if you open a door you can't close? What if it's even your, you've accessed your subconscious and you block stuff out and it starts coming through the Ouija board? All of there is inherent danger if you believe there is because you're giving your power over to something that's inanimate. Like, right, you know, there's, no, there's nothing mystical about letters and numbers, that, you know, and, and putting your hands on it. But because you believe there might be, because you believe that there might be something to answer you, you have now opened that portal. And, and, and that's really in you. Because I'm sure, as Brandon will talk about, there were mediums and psychics who didn't need any device who were doing this long before the talking board came out. And we still have people today, you know, um, lots of psychics and mediums on television who, who don't use devices. But they do believe they can get messages. And so what becomes dangerous and, um, you know, or where you can find yourself getting into trouble is how much do you believe and how much power are you willing to give over to something else? And and remember, for people who are scared, especially on the Ouija board, it's pretty easy. There's a built-in hang-up button right at the bottom. Goodbye. <laughs> you know, so like if, if you're having a bad conversation, if we're all on the phone and we're having, you know, a fight and everyone's saying terrible things to each other, you know what I do? I hang up. You know, like <laughs> I don't I don't really, you know, want to continue. But but then people started to believe, well, if you don't say goodbye, you've left the line open. If you leave the planchette on it the spirit can come back or whatever you're talking to. I, I shouldn't just say spirit because some people believe, you know, you can talk to demonic entities. And, and again, you know, the scientific community, idiomotor motor response or idiomotor motor response, you're going back to, you know, the 1850s. It was pretty clear to scientists early on that what was happening was your subconscious. But it doesn't matter because people believe. And because belief is nine-tenths of your reality, once you believe in something, it's real. So we at the TBHS, we never, you know, we don't make fun of people. We don't look down upon their experiences. When people say something bad happened or that scared them, it's real because it was real to them. I haven't had those experiences, and, and I don't, you know, believe Brandon has, and, and Rick's looking for them, and, and he's trying and still <laughs> hasn't been able to, you know, create it. But that doesn't mean other people who are listening haven't had those experiences. So I don't want them to think I'm saying 
it doesn't happen, doesn't exist, it's all in their minds. That's not true because what's in your mind is incredibly important. So, um, is there is there a um, do you guys run into people that contact you and say they've having troubles because they've started talking, you know, using these sort of things? Does that happen? You mean every day or otherwise? <laughs> is it that often? It is that often, huh? <laughs> yeah, it's 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 um that often. I I, I actually uh had to change my phone number because I was getting so many of these calls. Um, yeah, we get a lot of um you know calls, emails. We actually get a bunch of boards that are uh, people believe are haunted or who have you know brought something into their house that they want out of it, and they mail us these boards and um you know donate them to the tbhs because they just want them out so yeah all the time so every story you hear everything you see it's real we hear it i see and uh, yeah our last guest we had a uh we had a guest on um our last guest has a trade-in offer on his website so uh if you don't want your board he'll take it so uh (laughs) I know that's uh, that's going on. Um, that's interesting. So, tell us about the movies. Now, this uh, you talked about Witchboard. Uh, wh- where is the, you know, the horror movies and so forth? The Ouija board or Ouija board really uh, becomes pinnacle in a lot of different films uh, as a way to sort of be the the center of the story. Yeah, I mean, for Rick, I mean, myself, Witchboard was huge. Um, The Exorcist is looking backwards. So this is, and again, Brandon will tackle this as a historian, but looking back in time, it's easy to say, oh, the Ouija board turned evil in 1973 when um, The Exorcist came out. Well, that's not really true because people, like Brandon said, thought talking to the dead was bad. It's in the Bible. You're not supposed to talk to the dead. Right, like it's it's that's why it's a Judeo-Christian and and Islamic belief as well. All of these different religions, talking to the dead isn't necessarily the big thing because you're supposed to be talking to God and it's the land of the living. And when you start consulting oracles other than God, well, religion views that as you know a negative. So there's always been a negative aspect. It's just that the overwhelming public didn't really turn against the Ouija board until after. We see the pendulum swing and in 1973 when Exorcist comes out and this little girl plays by herself and suddenly she's possessed by a demon. That kind of summed up what was already happening in time. That the Ouija board went from this, you know, fun little game to it it becoming a little darker and, and Hollywood has a fun place in that where you know does art imitate life or does life imitate art but the board you know was being used in ways that were reflecting this belief that bad things can happen in it and so um you know now today we you, we've had two official uh, ouija movies that have been out there have been countless uh movies that have used the ouija board um and you know in my collection i, I really like those they're prop boards the ones that are used in the movies because they impact us but, you know, again, there was a segment who always thought they were bad. It's just that it changed over time and it's starting to swing back. You know, the, the talking boards, Brandon will tell you, were, were born out of the spiritualist movement. So the early paranormal ghost hunters, this was in their bag of tricks. And suddenly the paranormal world became against them, even though that's how it really started. I see. Now, is there any, I mean, you know, when you get people. Uh, when you sort of send them in a mental direction that, hey, this thing 
you, you sit down in a room with your friends and you turn the lights down and you light some candles and then you put your hands on this board and the thing starts to move around and spell things out. Um, you know, there's, I've talked to other people about this sort of thing who have been involved in seance performance and so forth. And, um, is there any, are there any tragic stories out there that you guys are aware of where people just took this whole thing so far that it ended really, you know, in tragedy? Is there, are there any incidents mm -hmm. that have happened sort of inspired by the idea of this, you know, sort of portal to evil spirits and things like that? Brandon, I'm sure you can, we can, it starts real early, I think, in uh, spiritualism, where there's some pretty nasty tragedies before the Ouija board enters. Well, I mean, the, the, yeah, we could, we could probably have a whole show just on, uh, uh, on various incidences. I know we've got a lot of, of Ouija board inspired murders, which actually, honestly, are probably more salacious than a lot of the early spiritualist stuff, but we certainly, the stuff I see more of in the earlier research is a lot of fraud. And uh, you, you, uh, one of the more famous cases is the 1903 Cavendish trial, where essentially a medium who was a planchette-wielding medium uses uh, this to essentially uh, dupe this, this man who had recently come into a, a rather sizable inheritance into thinking he was still receiving financial advice from his recently deceased parents. And so uh, he is essentially built into um, or conned into signing away a lot of his, his estate and family wealth to this medium and her partners. And so there's a, an awful lot of that, a, a lot of fraud. And, uh, and then a lot of, of exposure. You've got mediums as, as we progress through spiritualism, physical manifestations become... Uh, more important to to seances. So rather than you know wrapping mediumship is going to go out of style pretty relatively quickly. Once uh, in the 1850s, once ghosts start making appearances within the seance room, where literally there are physical manifestations of spirits. Uh, first starting off as glowing hands, and then later as as other sort of incarnate ghosts. And you'll get a lot of violence with people. Uh, bored in the seance chamber and reaching out to confirm whether or not those are spirits or fraudulent mediums dressed in luminous cheesecloth. And I, so, uh, so we, we get an awful lot of that. We not 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 quite as much on the murders, although the Circle de Sedania murders, which I've written about on my blog, there is a seance group that believes that they are summoning the spirit of a jealous Neanderthal. So. They are speaking, and they're literally uh, in the same chamber getting grunts and hoots. It's at, a, at an asylum in France, sanitarium. And 13 people connected to that seance actually uh, meet their deaths within, within a couple of years from it. And it was all thought that it was because this, essentially the spirit of a caveman, is how the, the, the headlines read, was were, was jealous of the various suitors of of the medium that that he was involved with, and and set out to murder them spiritually. So you certainly have 
uh, that and, and many more. And, and Bob himself can talk a lot about some of the different Ouija murders that, that the board supposedly inspired. Yeah, let's uh, let's take a quick break and uh, we'll get into that because I do want to hear about uh, uh, particular stories, of any, any modern time type stories I think would be interesting. So uh, we'll be right back after this. You are listening to Spirits and More Radio. Have a paranormal story? Tell us at spooksandspirits.com. Spirits and more radio, and we're talking about the Ouija board, spirit boards, talking boards. Um, we were just about to hear about some uh, some murders. Rick, uh, you, why don't you tell us about what you know? Uh, give us a, a story of, of uh, maybe one of the more uh, televised or you know something along the, those lines that hit the media. Uh, true story stuff. I don't, I don't really know much of anything. I just I just um, got a. Uh, a newspaper article off of eBay about a murder that was attributed to Ouija board, but I sent it to Merch, so I don't remember what it said. <laughs> <laughs> there were, right from the beginning, you know, literally, if the Ouija board makes its appearance in 1890, by 1891, we already have, like, a, a woman who went crazy because she believed what the Ouija board said. It told her her husband was, who she'd gotten divorced with, was never coming back, and her lover was going to leave her. What we find happening is that people were prone to believe what the Ouija board told them, which is kind of funny, right? Because, you know, we always tell people, you know, parents have been telling kids forever, you know, if little Johnny told you to jump off a bridge, would you? And, you know, as a little kid, you're like, well, no. And they're like, okay, well, don't do it. But for some reason, we so want to believe that these connections are real, that, 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 you can talk to the other side or something that will tell you what's going to happen to make you feel better. And, and just to put it in perspective, so it doesn't sound silly, but remember these devices, they, all of these devices were created for one reason, and that was to answer questions that nothing else could. So 
you want to know where did your husband go um, if they're in war and you know it's not like it is today where you can just skype them you know you, you wrote a letter and it took a long time before you he he would hear back and people would travel and they would die and you might not ever know what happened to them and i mean in the civil war people died and they might have been buried in a mass grave and so not only did they die but what happened to them and so people turn to these devices to get these answers that they weren't getting from anything else. And so it puts them in a place where they want to believe what it's saying. And so whether that's uh, to do something bad or to hurt someone else or just for peace of mind, you know, we always hear about the bad stories. They always make the news, like Brandon said, the very salacious stories like, you know, uh, the Ouija board told me to kill my daddy, so I did. And and seriously, a little girl picked up a shotgun and shot her father who died a couple days later. And she did it because it turns out the mother was having an affair and didn't want to get a divorce because then she'd lose half of everything. So she used the Ouija board with her daughter to talk to the spirits. Well, the spirits with the mother pushing it said, you need to kill your father. Well, wow. she was playing with her mom and, you know, her, her mom's like, well, you know, the spirits, you got to do what the spirits say. So the little girl <laughs> did. Wow. And, and so remember like, for everyone who's out there, I, I, I do always ask people, I, I respect everyone's belief, and I really like to explore them, but I also want them to use their minds and use their brains and, and be logical about this. Ouija boards don't kill people. People kill people. You know, it, it, right. it, just because the Ouija board tells you to do something doesn't mean you have to do it, nor does it mean you have to believe it, nor does it mean you have to listen. And, you know, again, there's that hang up button at the bottom. You know, you're talking to a Ouija board. A Ouija board does something kind of um, crazy and, and makes you, you know, nuts or it's bothering you. You just stop and put it away. And unfortunately, for these stories where people killed someone or, or tortured someone or, or hurt something or anyone else, these people already had something going on. So we warn people all the time, hey, you know, if you're suffering from any type of mental illness or um, you know, you're under the influence of something else, playing the Ouija board or trying to reach out to the other side in any way is probably not a smart idea. Because you're already not in the right frame of mind to explore this amazing thing, which is death. You know, I mean, ultimately, the real question, right, isn't do Ouija boards work? It's can you talk to the dead? Is it possible? And, and if it is, yeah, the Ouija board works great. You know, if it's not, no, you're talking to your subconscious. So, I, you know, that, that's the real question. And so for the people who are out there who are thinking if you're scared, if you're terrified of these things – do yourself a favor, don't play them. If you are interested in playing with them, then do them with some friends that you trust, that you're going to have a good time with, that you're able to feel comfortable asking questions and, you know, stopping if it seems to get crazy. And so, you know, it, because we're getting into these stories where people did really bad things, in my personal view, all the stories I've ever seen, and there are many that involve crimes and people doing bad stuff to each other because of the Ouija board, they use the Ouija board as an excuse to hurt each other. You know, either th their belief was so strong that they believed they were doing the right thing that the Ouija board said, which obviously puts their minds not in the right place, you know, or they wanted someone dead and they used the Ouija board in order to accomplish it. And and that makes people bad. I, I don't I'm not speaking for everyone at the TBHS, but I do not believe that spirit communication devices in general are inherently evil. I just don't. I see. It, it, it's what we do with them. 
So, so tell me, is there a is there a particular story that stands out that people have contacted you? Uh, you must hear lots of stories, you know. I mean, people are probably eager to tell you, hey, I played with a Ouija board and this happened. What was, is there a story that stands out in your mind that you heard that uh, really, uh, you know, from the perspective of, you know, as you just, you know, said how, where you're coming from on this, but, um, you know, there's there's got to be a few of those that stand out like, wow, that's a, a really crazy situation that you experienced, you know. Is, is, is there one that stands out oh. that you can share? Well, I think Brandon can probably tell you about one that was that made a mark on him and in his research. I happened to be there for, so I know what happened. Yeah, but, Brandon, uh, tell I us think, about that. Yeah, well, and you know, it's not incredible. It's not incredibly dramatic or salacious, but it, but it's important because uh, of the impact. And Bob spoke to this earlier, and that is, uh, we were both lecturing at a paranormal conference in Gettysburg, and because we were speakers there, we were invited to kind of be host for one of the overnight. Um, ghost hunts there, and we were at the Tilly House, which is sort of a, a famous haunted house, now bed and breakfast there, and uh, this house is, is historically famous because a lot of soldiers died there. They were brought there uh, sort of as a triage during the battle and after the battle, and, and so a lot of people lost their lives sort of in the in the lower room of this home where the, the, the proprietor uh, treated them. And so, you know, Bob and I aren't aren't paranormalists we don't we don't typically do these these ghost hunts and such so we uh we brought a board along with us and we we break it out in the front room and we just invite others to use it and so for about the next four hours we all took turns uh getting on this board and just just trying our hand at it and there were probably by the end of the night 10 different people that used it in tandem with other people and so everybody would spend you know 10 or 20 minutes on the board and then make room for somebody else. It was typically three or four people on it at once. And what we received over those four hours, and, and I, like Bob, am, am a skeptic. I, I, uh, I'm, I'm not a, a believer as such. I'm, I've got an open mind at the same time, but I am a skeptic. And um, so we received over the course of these four hours very coherent communication from the board, uh, very specific persons, uh, their names, their histories, what they did, how they were related to the house. Some would give their names, others would not. Uh, we got information on their spouses, the years they died, all this other stuff. And while we never followed up, uh, that, that to me wasn't what was important in, in this experience. It was that we didn't sit there for four hours and spell out meaningless gibberish. These 10 or so people that were involved in this, taking turns, and, and it was, you know, there was a, a high, a, an environment of high trust. We were all friends. We all knew one another. There wasn't one person giggling with their finger crammed down on the planchette, pushing it around the board. It moved very swiftly. It was extremely convincing, even for a skeptic. And what was important to me was that, again, we didn't spell out gibberish. We spelled out meaningful communications. And it would be very easy to see how a believer in that would be convinced that they were speaking to a spirit or an entity of some sort. But to me, it was equally miraculous uh, and, and convincing that our unconscious minds were able to put those communications together. And I understand how it works, but that doesn't make it any less 
intriguing to finally experience that uh, firsthand. And for me and my research, where for years I sort of laughed off a, a lot of these experiences. I, you know, I would read an account of a seance and, oh, you just won't believe what happened next, you know. And then there was a, a parade of 86 angelic spirits came through the room. And, and we are at the one hour mark. This fascinating interview does continue for our full access overtime members. To get full access, simply go to our website at spiritsandmoreradio.com. Under the full access section, you'll see an orange Patreon button. Click on that to find out more and hear the rest of the show. You can also join our live broadcast alert list. We email the day of the show when we are going to broadcast live so you can tune in and hear the full show and also have the opportunity to call in.